Mostly Just Podcast, Episode 3. Back at it again with Rambo and Atlas. Um, we are going to talk about the playoff game's results um, and the upcoming games, as well as the uh, NFL. We, we can talk about the NFL Super Bowl. Yeah. Is that good? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, the first game of the playoff was number one ranked LSU versus number eight ranked Oregon. LSU Tigers lost um, by a score of, what was it? I think 24-23. 24-23. That is a bummer. But, yeah, 24-23. Um, there's not much I can say about this game. Players on Oregon, like Christian Lane, Junior Sosa, just showed up in the big moments. LSU's players didn't. Um. There's a lot I could say about it. Um, I get why LSU lost. Um, I'm not very happy about it, but I get it. Um, we'll come back. That's for certain. That's facts. Are we going to talk about the game? Is there? Any, yeah. Um, first half, uh, Oregon had a lead in the first half. Christian Lane hit, a, hit Jamela Ball for a 70-yard score. That's not something this LSU secondary is. Used to. Um, LSU just really struggled to move the ball. I mean, the only touchdown they had in the first half was to the fourth fourth string receiver, Ja'Cory Savage. Um, I'm not sure what else to say. I mean, the LSU star players just didn't really show up in the big moments in this game. Yeah, um, LSU really relies on their young guys, their freshmen like Michael Washington and Jason Peters the second, and, you know, when they had to show up, they really just didn't show up. I mean, sometimes you just need that, like, just need that experience to play in a playoff game. And uh, guys like Christian Lane showed up. And guys like Jason Peters the second just didn't show up. And that's the difference in this one. I mean, it happens, you know. Most of the core is freshmen, sophomores. I mean, I think we definitely could have played a lot better game. There was clearly, you know, some players didn't show up, and it was pretty obvious, too. We're not going to name anyone, but it happens. We're only going to get better. That's how I look at it. We, we're not losing anyone to the NFL like Oregon is. So That's true. That is true. Um, I'll admit it. My team wasn't as active as they have been in previous games. That Part of that was due to factors that – did not have anything to do with not wanting to be there. They just couldn't be on. It's whatever. And, uh, yeah, I guess they want it more. Uh, one of my starting safeties did transfer after this game, Kamari Rogers, um, after a uh, team meeting. Did not go so well. And, uh, yeah, just got to move on next year. And congrats to Coach Wright in Oregon. They played a really good game. They have a good team. Mm-hmm. Um, Next game on the docket, Texas versus Texas A&M. Really good win by Texas A&M. I had Texas A&M winning this game. Texas yeah. has some activity issues, so especially in their wide receiver core as players like Trez Smart, Jordan Wall, DeAndre Baker really struggle on that aspect. Um, Texas A&M's defense really showed up in this game um, because Texas's defense was not bad in this game as well. They forced turnovers on Jalen Hobbs. Jalen Hobbs did not have the greatest game, but Texas A&M's players just showed up more. Like, 
2016 tight game in the fourth quarter. Blake Cook stripped Malik Lynch and took it for a touchdown. That really sealed the deal for this Texas A&M team because Texas really didn't move the ball much on offense this whole game. So that defense really, really helped them out this game. What do you guys think? Yeah. Um, for Texas to win big games like that, you're going to have to have your offense active and ready to go because Payne Thorne isn't a game-changing player. He's more of a game manager, and when you don't put him around guys that can make plays, he's really going to struggle, and that really showed in this one. And um, it's not like Jalen Hobbs is, like, a star player, but Andrews puts him around good players, and they make plays for him, and that's what wins that game for them, especially their defense stepping up all through the four quarters and getting a big play to seal it, you know. Yeah, I felt like most of Texas' offense didn't show up to this game. It was problems they were having, like, before, like, coming up to this game. But, yeah, um, you know, when your star running back stops carrying, your tight end retires, one of your wide receivers go inactive, it's going to be hard to beat one of the best defenses in college football. And it showed here. So, Yeah, Texas A&M probably has one of the most level defenses in the nation. Because they got a star player in every single position, like, level. Pretty much, yeah. I agree with that statement. Um, the semifinal matchup between Texas A&M and Oregon is going to be very interesting. So you have to – we'll discuss that later. But the next game that occurred, Boston College, Minnesota. This was an interesting game. People were saying – some people were saying this could be an upset. Some people were saying it was a blowout. It was the latter. Boston College just got outclassed 34-14. to 14. Boston College could not get anything going on offense. Just turnovers killed them in the first half. It was tough. They finally got something going in the second half with the Jordan Speed Rhinestone connection, but it was too little too late. This Minnesota team is just really, really balanced all around. Um, I'm not surprised that Minnesota won this game, but, I mean, what do you guys have to say about it? Um, Yeah, Boston College really needed – was it, it Jordan Speed or Cam Speed? Yeah, Jordan, yeah, Jordan, Jordan Speed, Speed to step up, and he just couldn't get the job done. I mean, it's really hard against a Minnesota defense on the road in the coldest, probably the coldest, I, I wouldn't say the coldest, but like one of the coldest places to play. And um, yeah, Coach Hill is definitely a defensive coach and a very good player developer, and um, he probably got this defense ready to go and shut down Jordan Speed in that offense, and Boston College's defense really didn't have a shot because, you know, when you don't put up points on the board, you kind of just lose motivation as the game goes on. And when it's 17 to nothing at halftime, you really don't have much hope and got out of hand from there. Yeah, Minnesota is a hard team to beat when you're behind. So I felt like, you know, if BC was able to score first, that would have been huge. But they weren't able to get anything going offense the first half. And Minnesota was just able to keep chopping at them, you know, they got a field goal late in the end, so that made it 17 nothing. That was huge because that makes it a three-score game. Then they opened the third quarter with another touchdown. So you're down 24-0 with like a half left. That's going to be very hard to come back on a top defense. So, you know, they're, they're bringing everyone back. I mean, they're only getting better. I feel like, you know, at least they got that playoff experience. You know, this is a team that's only been their third year ever. So... Gotta give props to BC for making it this far and winning that ACC. But see them next year. is arguably the best team in the playoffs so far, and they showed that. And Boston College is definitely less experienced on all parts of the field. So, um, yeah, you really just can't let Minnesota get ahead early, and they're just gonna ride with it. Um, last game that was played: number three Georgia versus number six USC. USC pulled the 
upset, quote unquote, upset, okay. thirty to thirteen. Um, this really wasn't that close of a game. Even the first half when they were only up by eight points, like USC was like pulling away. They were just like Georgia's getting these stops, but you 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 could tell they weren't going to sustain that. Um, James Parker finally broke out in the second half. Um, USC's talent is really showing this game. Georgia has a really promising roster. I mean, Shamar Stevens could really only carry them so far. The supporting cast, they have a good, they have an okay supporting cast, but they just don't have enough players. They don't have enough depth. You know what I'm saying? Like, USC's depth really showed in this game with Jamal Sutton, the big man, gets, tips up the passing, allows one of his players to get an inter- interception. Like, that really shows. Like, you know, all the USC players were contributing in this game. And, yeah, that's what I have to say. Um, what do you guys think? Um, yeah, I'm... I'm actually really impressed with Georgia's defense in this one. They come out, get an early interception on the young Wesley Sabington. And, um, you know, you kind of got to rely on the Heisman quarterback, and he just doesn't show up in back-to-back big-time primetime games. And you kind of question his Heisman ability because he gets in a SEC championship and folds, and then he gets into a playoff game and folds again. And, I mean, USC took advantage of it. But if I'm on Georgia's defense, I'm kind of questioning – why Shamar Stevens was not at the game. <laughs> I mean, I don't think UJ played bad. It was just more of USC's red zone defense. They were able to get in, like, field goal range, but they need to score touchdowns. In 14-6 at halftime, it could have been 14-14. I mean, that's really the difference in the game. And then uh, USC forcing more turnovers, I think. So, I mean, we all knew USC was the more talented team. The seeding was, I guess, deceiving. It's not really an upset. But it happens. I mean, this was Shamar's final year, but most of the guys on. So, I feel like, I mean, the SEC is like, I think, what, the East, I think it's wide open for them still. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they lost by 17. It could it could have been, like, worse, I felt like. But they can build off this. They can come back next year. Yeah, I agree. Georgia gave LSU a run for their money in the SEC championship. They they play these teams close. They're gonna have they got some decent recruits coming in, including the number one running back, LJ Riley, I believe. So that'll be interesting. Coach Maxis has a good group there. So on to the semifinal games previews. Um, we'll start out with uh, Texas A and M versus Oregon. Um, we're just gonna I'm, I'll go. Do you want guys going go like position by position? Yeah. Or like you just want to do like an overview. We can go position by position. Uh, we can do position by position. All right. Uh, at quarterback, we got Jalen Haas versus Christian Lane III. Uh, in this aspect, I'd have to give Texas A&M the nod. Christian Lane third has been up and down in his time as, at Oregon. Activity has been kind of up and down alongside there. He really performed pretty well in his first postseason game, game against LSU, a really good secondary, no turnovers. And, and Jalen Hobbs, he did okay. He threw some picks against a really good Texas defense. But I'd have to give Jalen Hobbs a nod here. His dual threat ability, his ability to win big games. He's been that leader for the Texas A&M team since, like, his freshman year. So he knows how to win in big games. Give me um, Jalen Hobbs in that. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're very similar, not in terms of play style, but more in terms of how dominant they are. Because I feel like both of them just – they rely on their receivers around them more. Yeah. And uh, they're not game changers, but they'll they can do well with receivers around them. I agree. Yeah, uh, I don't really see the big difference between them, but Jalen Hobbs has definitely been more successful. 
I think Lane's the more talented quarterback, but he's had some activity issues. So, like, Hobbs has always been more consistent. So, what type of Lane are we going to see? Are we going to see the Lane that played um, LSU earlier? Are we going to see the Lane that uh, lost to USC? So, that's what's really going to come down to, I think. You know, can he make plays instead of turning the ball over? So, I think uh, Texas got the edge. But Hobbs is low-key a turnover machine. Like, he's... I feel like in every script I've read, like, there's at least one turnover. So, I feel like Oregon, they got a good shot to win if they can win this turnover battle. Yeah, I think Jalen Hobbs. That's a good point there. Definitely gets, like, his turnovers definitely get overshadowed by Texas A&M's elite defense. So, that kind of helps him a little. Mm-hmm. We're going into that later because if Oregon forces turnovers like they get it, did against LSU, I think um, Texas A&M could be in some big trouble. So, going on to the running back. Uh, it's pretty similar, to be honest. I know Kalon Dalla is a bit higher overall than Oregon's two running back, but they're pretty similar in activity, to be honest. And Maverick Khalil, who just got active again, and DJ Wagner are a pretty formidable duo. I mean, they're both not like game-changing running backs, but they both can get you yardage and get you touchdowns. And Kalon Dalla has had an okay season with Texas A&M, but I wouldn't really call him a game-changer in that department. So I'd give Texas A&M the edge, I guess, but like not by much. They both have pretty sim- – they're pretty even in the run game because – both their offenses really don't rely on it, but they're both pretty good complementary pieces. I have to agree with that. I mean, nobody stands out activity-wise and stats-wise, but I feel like Kayvon Dalla is definitely a solid running back as well as the two at Oregon. Yeah, both of their run- – they're not really game-changers. Like, they're not any, like, Jacon's uh, sit level, but – I think if they can play well enough, you know, just get like a little three, four yard plays, you know, set up third and second shorts, they can definitely like make some plays here. But I don't think it gives the edge to any other team here. Like it's just equal. I'd agree there. Uh, Moving on to the receiving core, Oregon has a really, really good duo in the transfer Jamelo Ball from Florida. who's had a really good first year as an Oregon Duck. And Alexander Brano, who was getting a transfer, but uh, decided to stick out at Oregon. He's had a really good year. Both of them performed really well in their first playoff game against um, LSU. And then Texas A&M, they have their, their slot guy, Trill Taylor, off the slot. He's been Jalen Hobbs' number one target all year. Uh, Julius Floyd is also a really nice option at tight end. The former five-star in his freshman year has had some moments in games. Um, and the other – some low-key good receivers on Texas A&M, Trill, uh, Jacob Smith, the freshman – Really good activity-wise. He could be an emerging star with uh, Trill Taylor. And Malik Baker's been okay. He, he died. Rip man. But, uh, yeah, um, to be honest, I'd give the edge to Texas A&M just because they have more options, I'd say, at receiver and tight end. But that's yeah. just me. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think Texas A&M definitely has the more talented wide receiver core because Trill Taylor is a first-team All-American, which is not – the easiest place to be at, and which means he's top three wide receiver. And they got Jacob Smith as well, who's also very active. But I feel like they aren't utilized as much due to Jalen Hobbs not being a great passer. And he turns the ball over a lot. And I think that Oregon's receivers definitely get the ball more in their hands and are more utilized rather than Texas A&M's. Yeah, I would say uh, Texas A&M has a better uh, core because they actually use a tight end. So, like, that gives you, like, a like, inside factor, where Oregon, they just have Verano and Ball. I mean, I think they're both solid uh, 
wide receiver course, but I would give the edge to Texas A&M. All right, uh, moving on to the D-line. To be honest, I don't think this is too much of a contest. Yeah. Isaac Lopez is arguably the best, to some people, second best, probably defensive lineman in the nation, along with Darius Glick, a good sidekick there. Um, the duo at Oregon, Tyler Harrison and Trayvon Hunter, they're both pretty good, but I think Isaac Lopez's star power just puts him over the top. Texas A&M has the better D-line. Yeah, for sure. He's just so dominant that he really just makes up for the rest of the people around him, and he always gets to the quarterback and makes plays in the run and stuff. And Oregon doesn't really have that standout guy on the D-line yet. Yeah, I would give it to Tech Sam. I mean, Oregon did get that Capella guy a couple years ago, but he died off. That would have been helpful this game, but... Rip Nick Carter. Yeah, I would, Rip Nick Carter. I, yeah, I would give it Isaac Lopez because he does... I feel like, like, what, Oregon's two active D-line, he's better than both of them, like, combined. I feel like that's how good he is. So, I would give it to Tech Sam. All right. Moving on to the linebacker core. Um, Oregon has a really good duo, but they're both really young. Carmen Collins Jr. and Trey Prince both have really performed really well in their first season as Oregon Ducks, but they don't really match the experience, in my opinion, of the other duo at Texas A&M, Amari White and Blake Cook. Both players really perform well off each other. Amari White's the captain of that front seven, I'd say, in terms of with the linebackers, as a really good run stuffer and outside pass watcher. Same with Blake Cook, the senior transferred from California. He's a really good run stuffer, pass rusher. Both really complement each other really well. I'd give this one to Texas A&M. Yeah, I agree. I think I think Blake Cook's also a first-team All-American, and Blake Cook's is definitely yeah. a great, great sidekick to have. And they've definitely run that front seven behind Isaac Lopez, and that's just that's a pretty dominant front seven for sure. Although Oregon does have very talented young guys that are going to make plays, but I, they just don't over overmatch the... Uh, the other two. Yeah, uh, give me Texas A&M's linebacker core. They're just a lot more older, talented. So, and they're good. They're just young. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Okay. Um, the next position group we're going to look over is the secondary. Um, Texas A&M secondary, they have a really some really good, talented players on there. Most notably, Arrow Williams. He won the Jim Thorpe Award, didn't he? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he won that award for a reason. He's one, probably, I mean, he's one of the more active players in this league. I'm being for real about that. Like, yep. he is extremely active for Texas A&M. He's honestly had a better season than Isaac Lopez, just my opinion. I but, agree. Uh, he's really good at defense. Because Rashawn Schultz is good this year, but he, he low-key took a little bit of a dip this year. Um, We'll have to see next year if he returns for his Richard senior season. But he low-key took of a dip as Errol Williams performed a little, a little better than him. Um, some other complimentary pieces of that secondary. I know Trevon Adams went inactive, so that's a bit of a loss. But Malik Dior and Mr. Neon do a decent job in that secondary. They're decent complimentary pieces. But Oregon secondary, deep as fuck. Deep, 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 yeah. deep, deep. Junior Sosa, Jordan Williams, Zaire Gonzalez, Malik Riley, Caleb Neely, all really, really good five players that anyone would want to have in their secondary. Possibly one of the best in college football. Um I know it's an unpopular opinion, but give me Oregon's depth over Texas A&M star power. I would rather have a core group of five guys and two guys, star players in my secondary. Yeah, I think I, I think it's even. I would say Oregon, but, you know, Arrow Williams and Rayshon Schultz and even Jordan Neon. And, a, and a, I think Malik Metcalf is, like, 
playing in these games since he's redshirted or whatever. So I think they're even in terms of like one's more talented or top heavy rather than one's that deeper. But I think that the one that's top heavy really makes a difference. Uh, give me Oregon secondary. I do think uh, Texas A&M has more star talent, but I think overall and like depth wise, uh, Oregon's just a lot better. So we've gone over both teams. Who do you think is going to win this game? I, I, I think it's going to be sloppy. I think it's going to be definitely a defensive game because both quarterbacks are just really not top tier game changing quarterbacks. So I think it's going to be like Texas A&M. Maybe like 20, 20 to fourteen. Hmm. What do you think, Mr. Rambo? Uh, give me Oregon in the upset. I think they they pull this off. I know, like roster wise, you can say Texas better, but you, I've been hearing some things about Texas locker room issues. Um, I that's all I'm gonna say. Uh, I think Oregon. You know, they had a lot of like controversy in that locker room in the middle of the year. I think they're, like, more united than ever because of that. And I think Oregon's going to pull off the upset again. You know what? Give me Oregon in this game. Give me a nice 23-14 to 14 game. I think if Oregon can force turnovers like they did against a really similar receiving core, I think they're going to cause a lot of problems for the Texas A&M team. And I know Texas A&M's team has a lot of experience on there, but Oregon's offense is performing at a pretty high level right now. They just overtook, in my opinion, a top three defense in the league. And I think they can do it again, honestly. Christian Lane is going to perform well. Jamelo Ball, Alexander Vrano, those guys are possibly one of the better duos in football. Give me Oregon. Give me Oregon. All right. That took a while, but we'll try to go a little faster for the next matchup. Minnesota versus USC. We're going to look at quarterback first. At quarterback for USC, we have Wesley Sappington. He's done a really good job in his time at USC. Uh, former five-star recruit for Mr. Coach Billy Robert Johnson. And at Minnesota, we have Herbert Cortez, who's played a bit of a backseat role to the star running back, Jaquan Sitt. But in my opinion, Wesley Sappington is the better quarterback. Um, Cortez... Post-wise, it's not really even, like, close. I just think Mr. Sappington cares more about his player. I think he's the more involved player in his offense, per se. So, give me Sappington. Yeah, I think Sappington is definitely better. He's probably more of a game-changer. And he definitely has better wide receivers, I think, especially James Parker being probably the best wide receiver in the nation and a top future top three pick. And, um, yeah, Herbert Cortez, he's probably the best game manager in the in the nation, but... Sometimes you just got to take your talent. Uh, well, when you have the best running back in college football, you don't really need to do a lot. So I, I think Sabton talent-wise is better, but Cortez can definitely make some plays. I mean, we saw it in the Boston College game. But, um, yeah, so probably Sabton talent-wise. But Cortez, you know, a redshirt freshman, he led Minnesota to the national title and lost to Baylor. It's like he's played in big games before. That's, yeah. a point. That's a good point. He has that big game experience. You're right. Running back, um, Tiki Weiss done a really good job as a freshman. He was the number one player in the nation for a reason. But Jaquan Sitt, I mean, yeah, over 2,000 combined yards. He's led Minnesota to this point. Give me Minnesota, Jaquan Sitt. Yeah, that's an easy one. That's a Heisman contending 
player over top freshman. I mean, both are very talented. Both are game changers, but Jaquan said definitely just gets the edge. Yeah, give me shit. <laughs> um, receiving core, um, USC led by the number one receiver in the nation, James Parker. He has some decent sidekicks as well to him as Trey Holloway Jr. has performed really well as Jalen Brewer has taken a bit of a decline. So he's really stepped up in an increased role. And so has Isaiah Finnerty Jr., the slot receiver for the USC Trojans. They are a really good group, one of the better receiving cores in the nation. And with the Minnesota Golden Gophers, they do not have a bad receiving core as well with Daniel Scoob and Jamari Pickens really leading that group. Bishop Thornburg is also a really good tight end as well. But give me... James Parker's star power, they both have really even, like, secondary pieces, but James Parker is better than Jamari Pickens, in my opinion. So just give me the USC Trojans in this instance. Yeah, it's very close, but I think that James Parker is more of a game-changer than Jamari Pickens is, and Trey Holloway is a good sidekick, and I think he's a little bit better than Scoob with a little bit more experience. And they definitely get uh, probably more targets and receptions than... The other two would. But Minnesota is also very deep, so. Yeah, they have both have extremely top, probably top five receiving cores in the nation. So this is really close. Yeah. I would say USC has the better wide receiver core, but I think uh, Minnesota has more depth at the position. I mean, they have, they got a five-star to redshirt and he's playing. So, like, that's pretty crazy to me. But, yeah, I, I would probably say USC. Um. So, going on to the D-line, uh, USC probably has are not even a contest. It's the best D-line in the nation. You just have playmakers all over the ball. Led by Eli Jones, the Heisman finalist, with 15 sacks this year. And then you have All-Americans like Jamal Sutton, Alonzo Collins, Aries Andrews playing on that team. And Lawrence Witten off the bench. Like That is the deepest group there, filled with pass rushers, run stoppers. They're going to make life very difficult for Jaquan Sitt. So it'll be, that's probably the storyline of the game, how Jaquan Sitt's going to handle that really good D-line. So in Minnesota, Minnesota does not have a slouch D-line either. Players like Frank Fitzgerald, Jonathan Jones, who – he's redshirting? <laughs> yeah, he redshirted. Redshirting, LOL. <laughs> Big Bailey's also a really good D-end for that team. And then you got Darnell Parker, the five-star freshman on that team. Um Minnesota, probably against any other team, would be the better D-line, but USC has the best D-line in the nation, arguably. So give me the USC Trojans. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. USC has two elite pass rushers on the outside with Aries Andrews and Alonzo Collinson. And then in the middle, you got probably the best nose tackle and best run stopper in the nation, uh, Jamal Sutton, and he just – takes up a lot of space down there, and he's probably going to give Jaquan Sit a lot, a lot of trouble. But uh, Minnesota's yeah, also uh, very good, so, yeah. Yeah, probably USC is the best D-line, so, like, it's kind of hard for Minnesota to be better when their whole D-line's basically 90s, which is insane. But it's not like the D-line's bad. It's just you're going up against the best D-line. So, yeah, USC. These are probably two top. Well, one's the best D line yeah. and one's a top five D line. Well, let's move on to the linebackers. Uh, Minnesota has a lot of depth at linebacker. All five of their running uh, linebackers, four actually, all four of their linebackers can make plays with 
Ken Fro Drake, the best leader in the nation, best speeches in the nation. <laughs> Jamal Husky, Jameer Watson Jr., probably the leader of that front seven. And you got Kanye Cuero there, the redshirt freshman. All four of them make plays for that 3-4 defense. They are really key for Coach Hill's top defense to succeed. And at USC, you also have some playmakers like the leader of that team, one of the leaders of that team, Aaron Hill, the senior. Law Witt has done a really good job on that team. So is Devari Armstrong, the senior for that team. And Michael DeQuell, who's a wild card. He's a wild card. Big hitter. But uh, this is going to be close, but I'd say give me Minnesota. Uh, they're a little more active, in my opinion. They're linebackers, um, USC's linebackers. Some of them can be a little inconsistent. So give me Minnesota. That yeah, department. I agree. One to four, they have four active game-changing linebackers that can make plays in and out. And, um, yeah, that's probably, like, the the star or I don't even know. That's just the main part of the defense that makes them great. Yeah, Minnesota, they're just a lot more experienced there. I, I mean, USC got Aaron Hill, but, like, the rest of them, they're not really, like, as Burke said, consistent. So, give me Minnesota. Okay, and moving on to the secondary, uh, Minnesota has a really good, a good cornerback duo in DJ Holt and TJ Henderson. Jupiter Floyd and JC Payton also play a little bit. JC Payton Jr. redshirted this season, so he'll get some action. And the safety duo of Rocky Rambo, Brady Rogers, getting some PT now in the playoffs. Uh, Rocky Rambo is for sure the leader of that whole entire defense. The Heisman should have won Heisman, Rob, but uh. He is the X factor for that Minnesota defense for sure. And then you go look at uh, USC secondary. They are also not slouches in that department as well. Players like Denardo Williams, Jordan Joshua really highlight that group. You also have some really other good complementary pieces in like Jalen Ball Jr., Xavier Bourne, Derwin Schultz. It is a really deep group, but I wouldn't say it's the most experienced group. As the the best player in that group, Donato Williams is only a sophomore as the cornerback one. So give me Minnesota's secondary. They're a little more uh, experienced, especially Holton Henderson. They've been a part of some really deep runs by Coach Hill. So give me the Gophers. Yeah, I agree. Um, they definitely have a more deep, or I wouldn't even say deep, but they have a more top-heavy secondary than um, USC does. I mean, Donato Williams is very good, but... I mean, you uh, Minnesota has guys like Holt Henderson, Rambo, and Brady Rogers, and even J.C. Payton Jr. and Jupiter Floyd and whoever else. They're all very good, and they're probably yeah. That secondary and linebacker core for Minnesota is definitely gonna be game changing in the air for Sappington. Yeah, uh, getting Minnesota's secondary, they're just a lot more like older and they're more talented. Uh, when you get a former top ten recruit to be your slot corner, I I would say Minnesota definitely has the better secondary there. Alrighty, and uh, predictions for this game? I think it's gonna be a really ugly, close game, like the Texas A and M game. But Coach Hill loves his defense. Coach Billy Bob loves his defense. I got a seventeen to thirteen win for Minnesota. I think that Wesley Sappington makes a pick, uh, throws a pick on the last drive of the game or something like that, a turnover. This Minnesota defense is gonna come ready to prepare. Um, I'm going USC here. I think that Minnesota really relies on that running game. And if USC can really just stop Jaquan Sid as much as possible and put the ball in Herbert Cortez's hands as much as possible, they can really make plays. And 
I think I'm. I got USC in the upset. Uh, I'm not gonna make a prediction for this game. Uh, last time that happened, my team lost, so I'm just gonna stay neutral here. But I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say some keys to the game. Uh, someone on USC's offense is gonna have to do something besides James Parker. If it's either Holloway or White, because Minnesota will just triple team Parker if they have to. And then Minnesota, um, can Herbert Cortez prove he's more than just a game manager? Uh, those are my keys to the game. So. Word. Alrighty. So, that's not. We don't have much else to say. We'll go over the Super Bowl, I guess, a little bit. Um, Chargers won versus the Washington Football Team. Mounted a second half comeback to win the game. Jovan Hondavagan is a Super Bowl MVP. Lonnie Burks is on his way out. Very interesting. Right after the game, he said sayonara. But uh, yeah. Um, Chargers were the more talented team, in my opinion. They deserve to win. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. I, I was su- surprised the Washington team even beat the Giants, so huge accomplishment for them getting to the Super Bowl, but yeah, Chargers just the better team. Yep. All right. Um, that's probably all we have to say. Um, you wanna, appreciate anyone who watches. You wanna, We're getting more viewership. You want to go over the other New York Six Bowls, like the Rose Bowl, Sugar Bowl? I guess so. Sure, why not? Why not? We're still here. Okay. Um, so the first game we can talk about, um, why not this Arizona State Rutgers game? Rutgers mounting the second half comeback from a 21-10 deficit. Gerald James really performed really well in the second half, uh, scoring two touchdowns. And, uh, Bill Lakes, he kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. He fumbles. The game he kinda was, he's kind of bunt. Man's a Zeke Elliott. Worst 99 overall. That's a bummer. Yeah, I had him oh, yeah. as one of my most overrated players earlier in the season. I just never really thought he was insane after he transferred from Washington when he was, like, a 79 overall freshman. That was fucking absurd. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this would be a really good jumping-off point for Rutgers next year. Uh, what do you think, Randall? Uh, yeah, good one for Rutgers. I'm just really disappointed in ASU. Like, I had them win this game. I think they're a better team, but, like, so Lakes, man. You had them winning the Pac-12. Uh, yeah, exactly. So... I mean, I had high hopes for this team. They just come and disappoint me. I mean, they were in position to win the game, but Philip Lakes drops the bag, man. That That's just heartbreaking. Yeah. All right, the next game, we had Florida State versus Oklahoma. Really high-scoring game. 48-34. I think Florida State's talent just really showed in this game. They have a lot more deeper team than Oklahoma. Oklahoma's a lot more top-heavy with the Davey O'Brien winner, Braylon Sanford, Dakari Robinson, Dave Wilson. But uh, Xavier Faraz had a really, really good game in this game. He's going to take that as a jumping-off point for next year for sure. Maybe even a Heisman campaign. I don't know because Lala Walton Callaway is probably going to declare. So that'll be interesting. It'll probably be more of an air raid type of scheme next year if Coach Lynch can't find a running back. Yeah, um, FSU is definitely the better team. I mean, there's only so much Braylon Sanford can do. I mean, he he gets it done on offense, but their defense never can really get it done. Yeah, I felt like Oklahoma played a good game, but you're not going to beat a team like FSU if you allow 48 points. So, For real, for real. All right, on to the next thing, Wake Forest versus Notre Dame. Notre Dame continues – well, they were deemed uh, a disappointing season for them. 
they finished nine and three as a team that made the of the final four last year. Upset a lot of really good teams, but they make up for it, I guess, in a Peach Bowl victory versus Wake Forest. Jackson Allen had a pretty good game. So did Jackson Manning, but Wake, uh, but Notre Dame's depth really showed in this game as they just forced more turnovers than the Demon Deacons and just made more plays in general. Yeah, I picked Wake Forest to win this game. I kind of just rely, I just kind of assumed that the Heisman candidate, um, Jackson Allen, would step up and make big-time plays, but I kind of assumed that Notre Dame was overrated based on their record. So I kind of rode that wave, and I was just definitely wrong. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, just – I don't even know what to say. Like, I thought Wake Forest had this game, but another bad prediction by me. I think I went, like, like – Three for eight in bowl game predictions or something like that for New York Six Bowls. I don't even know. It, it was bad, but good win for Coach Wendor Dave. Um, I would say this would be a disappointing season for them because they went from Final Four to what? Well, ten and three. Yeah, but uh, they can continue to build off this. Continue to keep recruiting. Keep your team active. Don't let your QB die in midseason again. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, last game, uh, my final score was all, my prediction was really close, kind of. Baylor won 41-17. Um, this is a Baylor team that still has players from last year's national championship team. Their talent depth really showed compared to UNLV team that didn't really play a lot of competition. But UNLV has, this is a good jumping off point, good experience for their young guys. They have a really exciting team. Coach Francois really recruited this team well. DeAndre Dixon. Not, is it DeAndre yeah. Dixon, right? That's his name? Yeah, DeAndre yeah. Dixon. Cassius Clark Jr., Joe Stone, Aaron Judge. No one sees players like those. I don't even know that. This I don't even know those players. This is going to be off the There's dome. There's no way off you the know dome. that. There's no way you know who yeah, Aaron do. Judge is. At... Holy shit. Aaron Judge, man. He's a beast. Oh, my God. But anyway. I mean, I... Um, uh, it... You can talk. Those are some good... <laughs> Yankees fan Atlas pain. But uh this is a good jumping off point for them. Baylor, they showed they just had the more talented team. Victor Prime in a redshirt freshman year had a really good year with, with less supporting cast members. Jameer Kier Jr. had a pretty good game as well. Two second quarter touchdowns, pretty good for him. But yeah, um good win for Coach Hines. Um but yeah. That's all I have to say. Um, I I thought UNLV would keep it a little closer. I mean, in the back of my head, I was like, you know, Baylor should probably fuck these dudes in the fucking cheeks. But like, I was like, I was like, all right, I'll give UNLV a little bit. So I, I, I think I had like a what, like a twenty point game, and it ended up being like fucking. I mean, it was only twenty four, but it felt like fucking twenty. I feel like fifty. It looks a, it looks a lot. It like fifty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah. Uh, yeah. No surprise here. Baylor's just clearly the better team. Uh, I think UNLV's mostly freshmen and sophomores, while uh, Baylor's juniors and seniors. So no surprise there. They deserved to win that game. They should have. Also, shout out to Jaquavius Cookie uh, for carrying UCLA uh, in the yes, in the Carson Collins Bowl over a win over Florida Atlantic. Shout out to him. Shout out to Jaquavius Cookie, man. They that is the the. Two and a half Jits podcast favorite players. So, shout out to Jaquavius Cookie. Shout out to Jason. We gotta have like an all name team. We gotta, we gotta have like an all name team. We'll make that for next episode, like kind of something like that. All right, bet. But anyway, I think that's all for us today. Um, hopefully, we have more podcasts in the future. But uh, yeah, 
So peace out, guys. Right, I'll talk to you guys later.